your old friend Aaron Moss is here. Uh, I want to apologize for missing last month. I hope the uh, the musical interlude I provided for you guys entertained you uh, due to family and work. Just not having time to finish the episode like I wanted. Uh, episode 3 wasn't done like I wanted it to be done, so I decided to give that little interlude there of some music. Um, but we're back. There's episode 3 where I talk about Starman issue number 3 and Manhunter number 3. Thank you guys for coming along, and uh, thank you for your patience. Enough for me, let's go ahead and start the episode. We built this city! We built this city on rock and roll! We built this city! We built this city on rock and roll! <laughs> Hello there, my name is Aaron Moss, and this is the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Presented by Head Speaks. This is an hourish long podcast where we'll talk about the Will Payton Starman comic and the Mark Shaw Manhunter comic from the late 80s, early 90s. We'll talk about every appearance of these two great characters. If you've never read them or haven't read them in a while, this may be a good time to explore these issues. Now, let's get started with our first comic. Welcome back to the third episode of the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Um, today we're going to cover the third issues of Starman and of Manhunter. But before I continue, uh, let me give you guys a little uh, background information on what I'm going on here. In case you haven't heard, we haven't been paying attention, I've got a couple of other podcasts. One of them is the Task Force X podcast, which uh, talks about the Suicide Squad and Checkmate. Uh, from the same time frame. Um, not, I tell you this not only to promote my other shows, but uh, I, I'm running into a bit of a quandary here. As I'm lining up the issues uh, for this podcast, uh, coming up in a couple of months, we have uh, the Invasion crossover. And I'll talk more about that when we get to the Invasion. And the thing is, uh, Starman, as I said a couple episodes ago, started in October of 88, where Manhunter started in July of 88. So by the time Invasion rolls around, uh, the Manhunter series is on issue 9, or 8 and 9, and Starman's only on 6 and 7. So my choice is either A, I do the Invasion crossover when I get to Starman, and then a couple months later when it gets to the Manhunter portion, or I, I somehow sync these up so I do them at the same time. Well, I've decided what I'm going to do is uh, for the next month or so, uh, this episode and next episode, I'm going to continue covering the individual issues. This will be three, the next month will be four. Uh, for the next episode, after that, episode five, I'm going to cover Manhunter five, six, and seven. 
And then the following month, I will cover the Invasion number one and the Starman and Firestorm crossover. And I'll continue like that. So that October, it looks like, I'm looking through my list here, I'll be covering Invasion 2 with the Manhunter and Flash crossover. November, I'll be covering Invasion 3 with the second part of the Manhunter and Flash crossover. And then December, we'll cover Just League International. I had a crossover with Starman, I believe it was. And then we'll go to Starman 7, 8, and possibly 9. And then episode 10, we'll be back to the regular 10 and 10. 10, issue 10 of Starman, issue 10 of Mana. It's not so much a problem. It was a little bit of a problem. I talked to some of my podcasting buddies online, and this is uh, basically the best suggestion I got from them. I think someone came from Kyle Benning, my co-host over on G.I. Joe, the Real American uh, Headcast. Uh, as I'm looking through the list, so I realize that uh, in a year or so, there's another crossover I have to deal with. And this goes back to my earlier comment about my Task Force X podcast. Uh, Manhunter is involved with a crossover called the Janus Directive. It was part six of the, I think it was an 11-part or 12-part crossover that ran through uh, Suicide Squad, Checkmate, and then had other issues in Manhunter, Firestorm, Captain Adam. So I'm debating how the best way to handle that. Because on this podcast, I'm going to want to cover it. And that'll be coming up. If I keep on like I've got planned, it should be June of next year. Uh, meanwhile, over on my Task Force X podcast, I will start covering that in September, August or September. Uh, I'll be covering it over there, so a couple months later. So again, I'm kind of the same conjure I was with the Vasion crossover, but instead of just two issues in one podcast, two of my podcasts are going to be talking about the same books. Uh, so I tell you all this before I start this show, just to let you know that I'm not quite sure what I'm doing yet. I may stretch to these episodes. I don't know. I don't want to stretch things out, but I'll want to see what happens. But just so you guys are aware that uh, that's what I've got planned so far. I, I plan on this month and next month covering the regular third and fourth issues. The following month, I'll cover a couple issues of Manhunter. And we'll go from there. I may do like one issue a month on some of those and push those. I'm not quite sure. But just so you're aware, if you guys have any suggestions on a good way to handle this, as far as like, if you like listening to it, and I don't know if you guys listen to my Task Force X podcast, if you listen to both shows, you'll get double coverage of some of these. I think about maybe linking, if I can plan this out a little better, maybe linking up. So this kind of, the Manhunter issue kind of lines up with the Task Force X issues. And maybe I can do a, my own little mini crossover with those. I hope to have some special guests during those episodes. Uh, don't hold your breath. That's all I'm looking at. But anyways, I guess enough rambling about that. I know what you guys think. Uh, your thoughts on it. If you guys have any suggestions, how would you like to hear me cover this? If you listen to both podcasts, do you want to hear it both? Or do you want me to link the two podcasts together for the month or two so we can get this out of the way. Uh, give me your thoughts. I'd appreciate it. Uh, you can email me at smah or at Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour, either one, at headspeaks.com. So again, either smah 
at headspeaks.com or just a Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour at headspeaks.com. Uh, and let me just thank, or you can go to our Facebook page. You go by searching for Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour and leave a post on there. But uh, enough of my ramblings about me not knowing what to do with my podcasting life. Let's go ahead and get started on this episode. So, the first up, we're going to talk about Starman issue number three. The title of this was Lone Star Takedown. The cover date was December of 1988. But again, if you wanted to buy this fresh off the stand, uh, you would have to travel back in time, back to August the 30th of 1988. If I'm not mistaken, that was the year, that was the month, uh, I think it was the month after that. I was starting college. Graduated the previous uh, June. Hmm. Anyways, uh, to buy this fresh off the stand, you had to have one dollar on you. Uh, this was around the time when prices were going from seventy-five cents up to a buck around this time frame, late eighty, mid eighty-eight or so. Uh, the editor on this was Robert Greenberger. Writer, as usual, was Roger Stern. Penciler, the great Tom Lyle. Inker, Robert Smith. Letter Robert M. Pinata and colorist Juliana Fritter. And again, I apologize if I mispronounce any of these names. Names aren't my strong suit. Uh, moving on with the synopsis of the story, our buddy Will Payton gets a job offer in San Antonio. He decides to fly there on his own to sail on airfare when he is suddenly attacked by a mysterious man named, named Bolt, which we saw last episode. Starman defeats him, causing Bolt to teleport himself away. Will gets to San Antonio, gets the job, and learns that he can actually telework from Phoenix. <coughs> Bolt reappears in San Antonio, and once again the two do battle. This time Bolt has boosted his power, so he lasts a bit longer, but he's still soundly defeated. During the battle, his teleport is destroyed, leaving him with no way to get away from the battle. Being a professional, Bolt refuses to name his employer. Uh, we then cut to said employer, who is Alan Madison, who's reporting to the, his failure to Dr. Melrose of the mustache twirling Melroses, uh, who then authorizes the power elite to take on Starman. To be continued, of course. Uh, so that's, that's the synopsis for the issue. Let's go ahead and go with my thoughts on it. We start off with a simple cover. It shows a close-up of Starman, his upper torso, just below his waist up. He's got his hands clenched, and it looks like he's probably screaming in pain or something. A lightning bolt slashing across his chest. Again, I, I've said it before, this caution gets a lot of grief online. I know some of my podcasting friends don't care much for it. I actually enjoy it. I think this is very, I don't know. It's a very comic booky costume to me, which I enjoy. I like this cover, even though it's very basic. It gives us the, the title Starman. And it tells us versus bolts. And just so you know what you're in for, it gives us the bolt lightning to represent bolts. Um, I, I really like this cover. Uh, check it out. Let me know what you guys think. You guys enjoy it? Uh, and yet, again, yeah, I can't really say much more about it than it. It's a simple cover. But it's enjoyable. I don't know. Uh, then we move on to the story itself. So we start the story. Starman's at the hospital. And uh, as he's walking through, you know, he's 
walk through his spandex, caution us talking about people, which I like, and people check it out, like, oh my god, Starman. Uh, on this first page, we had a co-host with me on this, so I can talk about it. Uh, there's a guy in the background, he's one of the first ones making the comments, he's like, I have not had too much medication, surely. That was Starman just walked by. Who else would dress like that? He looks familiar. He looks like maybe, uh, I don't know, is it Marv Wolfman or. He's brown haired, beard, glasses. He looks like a picture I've seen of a comic pro before. So I wonder if that's supposed to be a comic pro. I'm not, I don't know. Anyways, enough puzzle about that. But, uh. And there's another older lady here, I think. Uh, says, get one of the nurses say that she hasn't seen the super before, and she, this old lady's like, I have, I saw some of them just like fellers back before the war. But none of them had a rumble suit like his. <laughs> I love the dialogue Stern's writing here. It's fantastic. Uh, but I didn't really go into my, my recap of it, but it starts out with Starman visiting the, uh, the cop from the last issue. And I like this, the partner's telling his or the, the cops telling his wife that Will caught the bad guy, and Will tells the wife, he goes, no, I, I couldn't know without your husband and his partner. They deserve, deserve a lot of the credit. So instead of, you know, he could be, you know, yeah, I did it, you know, and be very uh, egotistical about it. He's very humble, and he, he's trying to give credit to the, the ordinary working cops, which I, know, I think is a great attitude. It's one of the reasons why Will Payton is, uh, enjoy his series because he's a very down-to-earth, a very humble man. And then his partner shows up and tells Will that she knew someone was there. Tells Will. She tells Starman. But she knew someone was big there because the lobby's filled with news hounds. So Will flies off from the roof, not knowing that Melrose is uh, an assistant or whatever. Madsen is watching him with bolts there. Bolt is one of these villains that he doesn't really make the big time. He shows up here and there, gets his butt kicked, and moves on. Bolt, if you haven't seen him, he's got a, uh, it's a black or dark blue, maybe a dark purple costume. He's got a skull on his chest, and bolt behind the skull. And he's got... Triangle glasses on. Now, the glasses themselves are kind of silly, I think. Overall, the costume is nice. And don't get me wrong, the, the glasses aren't bad. It's just, I don't know, it's just they're, they're big triangle glasses almost. Almost like a, uh, oh, you used to use them back in school, a, uh, fight good angles and what have you. But, uh, I see that a decent costume. Or maybe I just like goofy costumes. I don't know. Anyway, so Will Will hides his costume, his street clothes, under a boulder. And I like this. You know, he's saying he hates. That's the thing he hates about being Starman. He's trying to find a place to change identities. But he's got the upside that you know at least the Rock is keeping his clothes neatly pressed. So he gets dressed and goes back home. Uh, again, I like the fact that he hides his costume under the rock. I mean, they could have done this many ways, but he actually has to change clothes. So that's that's not such a thing. Uh, 
And when he gets back home, is uh, he, he's got some mail with a publishing house in San Antonio. He wants to interview him. And I, I like the relationship between Will and his mom and sister. Uh, I mean, his mom wants him to do something with his life, uh, which as a parent myself, I've got kids that are 22, 23, and I've been in the same place that his mom's been. Uh, my kids aren't superheroes I'm aware of. Then again, she's not aware of her, so I don't get Hmm. We'll explain a few things. Anyways, she wants him to get a job, not realizing that a super identity can cause a problem with that. And let's well, say before that, well, let's say the previous month or so, he was unconscious because of getting his powers. But as is the superhero trope, he can't tell her that. And so, like I say, I mentioned the, the recap that. Uh, he will decides to fly there to save some money. And that's one cool thing about having the powers that Will has. I mean, like, sits here, he changes voice and his face, and he's got ordinary clothes on, so no one's going to be able to tell who he is just by looking at him. So he doesn't always have to change in the costume, he changes his face, which, you know, I like Will. He's got that power, you know, of changing his face and voice, so it's. Uh, it's an interesting car he has. And he flies off, and that's when Bolt shows up and zaps him. And again, I like this. He's, he, Bolt's flying along. And he's got... Bolt's costume, I didn't mention earlier, it's the pure black bodysuits. And between his, his arm and his... goes down to his legs. He's got, like, wings. Almost like a manary or something. Uh, again, I'm not... It's been with Bolt. It's been almost I've really read him. He hasn't shown up much lately that I've seen in the DCU. So I'm not sure if he's flying or gliding or what he's doing here, but as he's, he's got a device that Madison gave him that helped pinpoint Will. I mentioned the last if she got it. So he sees Will Payton. He doesn't know who this is anyways. His device tells him that it's Starman flying along and he's Will singing a song. It's along the lines of dum 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 dee dum dum. A girl who loved me so, but when I found myself thinking, when the time had come to go go, and he's going on and singing. Again, when I was younger, I didn't I didn't know what the song was. I didn't really think much of it. Rereading it now, I got curious. I got looking it up. I'm like, what does this song does it mean anything? Because he's talking about San Antonio in the song. And other than, you know, the fact that he's going to San Antonio. And I found out this is a real song called What Am I Doing Hanging Around by the Monkeys. Uh, I looked at some of the words there. He was singing to Google and found out that I was curious. Is this a real song or if it's just something that's made up? Well, sure. But yeah, it's a real song called What Am I Doing Hanging Around by the Monkeys. So he's singing this monkey song as he flies. And Bolt can overhear him, because we'll find out later on. Bolt zaps him, and he crashes. And they have a little fight there, and Will's a lot stronger than uh, Bolt realizes he is. As they're fighting, Will's like, well, I don't even know you, do I? And Bolt, you know, he's very naive at this point. And Bolt's like, nope, there's nothing personal about this. If it was, I'd be going for a kill. Bolt is like, that does it, just... Bam! Just knocks the living tar out of bolts. And as they're fighting, he picks up, uh, I think it's a rock or something, maybe. 
starts. I'm not sure what he's doing. If he's charging it up or he's just throwing it. And he's bolt blasting again. He's, he's like bolt thinking. That blast didn't even blink. Try to get. Does that blast even make him blink? I use it so much power in this fight. He's tough as ever. That heat come off is intense. I better go, but I still can. And so Bolt teleports out and gets away, which leaves uh, Will Payton flying off, wondering what that was all about, who this mysterious guy was, and why he's attacking him. And again, I, I don't blame Will. I mean, if someone attacks you out of the blue, you're a brand new superhero, you haven't had time to make any enemies, as far as you're aware, and you start getting attacked by this superpowered guy, it makes you wonder what's going on. And I mentioned earlier that Bolt could overhear because he goes back to the base. Apparently, Bolt uses a teleporter, how he's able to teleport around. And he tells Matson that Will's or Starman's more powerful than he thought, he's going to boost his own power. And here he starts singing the song that Will was singing. So he knows that Will's going to San Antonio from the song. And I like, as they're going along, Will's thinking that, you know, he flies into San Antonio to the edge of town. And he's saying things through, at least, because he says, you know, I probably shouldn't fly any further. There's a big air base in this region. Commenting that, you know, they're going to investigate any strange blips on the radar. And he doesn't want to encounter anyone else flying in. So he, he lands and luckily had a change of clothes. So as he's changing... He gets his, his old clothes are torn up because of the bolt attack by burning them up. So again, very handy power to have. I was going to go just his interview where he gets the job and he finds out, as I said in my a synopsis of it, that he he thought he might have to move to San Antonio, but uh, his new boss, Mr. Irwin, tells him that, you know, as long as you have a personal fear and a modem, you can work for Phoenix or Timbuktu for that matter. <laughs> So this was cutting edge technology at the time. I know back in 88, I had a uh, an Apple IIc, which was our portable version of the computer. I didn't have a modem with mine, but I knew there was a war game that came out a few years before this, which was talking about the modem, the internet at the time. So again, I mean, th this is the beginning, I think, of being able to telecommute, using the modem and a computer to send in their work. So... It's just interesting seeing this pop up as part of the story elements. It was able to telecommute using the computer. And yeah, I'm going on about this for a couple of minutes because, again, in my past, I've been a big, big computer guy. I've worked for an internet company for 12 years before they closed down. I've built my own computers. I've been best friend tech support for several friends. So I just think it's interesting seeing the beginnings of some of this in the comic book showing up and, you know, you telecommute. Which nowadays, people don't think nothing. I mean, most people nowadays have DSL or cable or some of their high speed connection. And I know a lot of, you know, these writers can commute or artists can, you know, work from home wherever they're at in the country and send their information in. So it's just interesting uh, seeing the same thing going on 30 years ago. And then we get Bolt flying around the city. Uh, so it looks like he is flying. Uh, he's flying around the city looking for Starman to show back up on the indicator. And he lands on top of this tall tower, and I like this. He's like, he has to be out there. Fill my bones. Whoa, the tracer just looked like a house of fire. He's going to be close by. 
And meanwhile, unbeknownst to the bolts, Starman's see him flying overhead, so he changes into his superhero costume, and he's flying up to get a look for Bolt, and he lost him. So he happens to be flying up next to the same tower that Bolt landed on. And Will's saying, well, maybe I can spot him from flying higher up. And so as he takes off, they see each other at the same time, and Bolt's like, what the... And Starman's like, hey! And they're both like, you! I don't know, it's simple, but I think it's a clever little piece of dialogue. I, I like it. And then on page 16, the next page, there's a splash page of Bolt just blasting the ever-loving Jesus out of uh, Will. Got a big old cross the page. Shrakoom! And Will's lit up. Looks like it was on fire almost. Just such a powerful blast. The paint on Will's face. Uh, again, the artwork on this is fantastic. I love this. And the people down below is talking about, you know, it's that explosion. It's more like a thunderclap. So it lets us, lets us know, I mean, we get the sound effects. And we can make those sound effects how we want. But this kind of lets us know how the average person on the street hears it and what they think of it. So it's just interesting. I mean, most of the time, writers don't include little bits of dialogue, dialogue like that. Roger Stern... Included that for us. It could give us a little bit the POV of the man on the street, if you will. And then they continue the whole fight here, which is it's a good fight. They got some, uh, both got a lot of inner monologue going on, saying how strong Will is. That normally uh, the blast he gave him would have blown the, uh, what's he say here? Would have blown an F 16 out of the sky, but it just barely stunned him. He's heating up like a 10 rough in August. And so his bolt kicks him, Will grabs his feet and Turns off real heavy, so he starts falling like this. He's almost like, let go, you hear? You're too heavy. I, I can't stand aloft. So I don't know. And see, it seems, uh, I don't know if we'll turn himself that heavy on purpose. I think it may just be his weight when he's not thinking about it. Because while he's not unconscious, he's, he's kind of rum dumb because he's like, huh? Falling? Well, it's slowing us down some, but not enough. Clear my head. Get flying again. We're going to hit. So it's not like Will's making himself that heavy on purpose. So it sounds like. That's just, now that he's got this, all this power, that's his default weight. He's a real heavy individual. Oh, so they land hard. And again, Will is so tough that, you know, he absorbs the blow with no damage. And by, again, again, this is from the 80s. It's very uh, inner monologue driven. Now, in more recent times, you don't get that as much. If they crash and Bolt gets off, and he's like, Bolt's thinking, how did he survive that? I can't believe I lived through that. And he was on the bottom. Madison was worried about me killing him, Madison being uh, the goon that hired him to hunt down and capture Will. So again, with the inner monologue we got here from Bolt, we find out a lot about his thoughts and things that we can we see on the page. You know, Will hit really hard, but he survived it. But it's also given us like a second... Someone else's thoughts on it. And then we get the uh, the scene from the coverage right here where Bolt comes up and pets his gauntlets right next to Will's head just starts frying him. And then we get some editors, uh, not necessarily editor, but the, I guess it would be uh, a third-party uh, comments here saying, with kilowatts of raw energy stabbing into his brain, Starman unleashes a wave of blistering heat as much as reflexed by Will and fills the surface of his pain weakened. Again, there's a back when they didn't mind giving us some of these notes like this. We can see what's going on on the page. 
But this kind of helps with this uh, narrator's note here, basically. It kind of confirms what's going on. And again, I like uh, when Will's powering up on this page, uh, top of page 19. Will, I mean, Will and Bolt's in there. And Will, like from waist down, his lower arms and hands are pure black. He's soaking so much energy is what I believe that represents. Because the next, the third box over, he's all black and just powerful and just, it, it's, his heat is so intense that only does it melt uh, Bolt's gauntlets, which contains his powers, but it also causes the, the teleporter back in the lab to start melting down, which it's quite hot. And so Boots, Boots, so Bolt still has his power, but as he says here, it's cut in half because of the booster cuffs being slagged. And <laughs> on page 20, they're fighting, and uh, before that, Bolt's like, you think so? I fought tougher men than you, Junior. And, and Will just lets him go with a whomp and just knocks the living tar out of him, knocks him across, and knocks him into a, like, a truck carrying some chicken. And uh, like, uh, I like this. Across the street from where the truck to the chickens are at, there's a sign for Kentucky Fried Chicken. And the bolt lands in a truck full of carrying chickens. And this last page, you got a couple of chickens there. Bark, 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 bark. And, and Bolt's like, of course, I could be wrong. His mask is knocked off, and he looks all loopy. He's got chickens all over him. It's a great scene, a great panel. I, I love this page 20 here. It's just a great layout and the way it's drawn here. And then the rest of the issue, you finish up, uh, Bolt's captured, they're taken away, and Bolt mentions that someone hired him, basically. He's trying to find out why, and Bolt's like, I don't care. I'm not saying who, I just paid to keep my job, do my job, keep my trap shut. So it leaves Will wondering who, you know, since he's a new guy, who would be after him already? And I guess there's a loading back of the ambulance, one of the, uh, uh, ambulance guys is like real tough guy, ain't ya? <laughs> just makes me this funny. He's in the background, he's talking smack to Bolt, who's got the living crud knocked out of him by Will, uh, by Starman. Uh, again, Roger Stern, great dialogue, my friend. That's fantastic. I, I love that. And then, as I talked about in the synopsis, uh, we end with uh, Madison talking to uh, Dr. Melrose. And Melrose is getting on to getting on to him, telling him that you know he shouldn't have engaged him, or he shouldn't have hired someone to engage him because he doesn't want to threaten the institution. And uh, about this time, one of the guys that they experiment on comes flying up. Uh, his name's Stan, or Stanley. I remember his name's Stanley, and Melrose agrees to let this group, the Power Elites, attack Starman. Uh, which probably, he's probably seen next issue. And you know, like this, we got the six members of the team. Uh, they're congratulating each other. Uh, we've got one showing the powers, powers powering up, kind of like Starman does. His hands turning black, and his hands all glowy. Uh, there's another guy there at the end with his hand shoved in his pocket, playing with his glasses. I don't know quite what's going on there, but... Again, another great issue, great great artwork. 
I don't think really had much complaints on this issue. I love Roger Stern's writing on it. Again, I think he gets the point across. Again, it was very 90s. There was a lot of 90s stuff going on in here. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But yeah, I enjoyed this issue very much. Uh, but I think that's all I got to say about this issue. So we're going to go take a break. I'm going to run some promos, and we'll be right back with Manhunter number three. We'll return after these messages. Who here likes comic books? Who likes superheroes? Who likes superhero comic books? From the 90s! That's what I thought. Hey there, I'm Nathaniel Wayne from the Council of Geeks, and though I've always loved superheroes, the only time I was buying monthly issues was during the much maligned 1990s. I've decided to go through my personal collection, issue by issue, and in my own little way, try to answer the question, were 90s comics really that bad? Chances are the answer will be yes, but I think these books deserve another chance and they're going to get it on 90s Comics Retrial, part of the Council of Geeks podcast, available on iTunes and at 90scomicsretrial.wordpress.com. Take the Earth's mightiest heroes, each an invincible champion of justice, and band them together to assemble the legendary Justice League of America. For 261 issues and three annuals, the DC Universe was defended from threats on Earth and beyond by this legendary team. Operating from a cave in Happy Harbor to a satellite orbiting 22,300 miles above the Earth to uh, Detroit, Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast, will follow the league through all their evolutions. Please join your host, Mike Peacock, as I seek to cover all of the issues of the classic pre-crisis Justice League of America series. Through the magic of the JLA transporter, each issue will be randomized, with special episodes covering a complete story arc if needed. Along with the issue coverage, we shall also look at what the then-current members of the Justice League were up to in solo appearances in other comics for the JLA cover month issue. So do not hesitate to activate your JLA signal device for Justice's First Dawn, a classic Justice League of America podcast on classicjla.podbean.com or by subscribing through iTunes. And now we're back with Manhunter, issue number three. Manhunter number three. The cover date of this was September of 1988, but the on sale date was May the 10th of 1988. The price was $1. The editor of this book was Barbara J. Kiesel. The title of this story was called The Gentleman of Japan. The writer, as usual, was the wonderful John Oshinger and delightful Kim Yell. Penciler was Doug Rice. Inker, Sam Keith. Artist, Kelly Jones. Letterer, John Costanza. Colorist, Juliana Fritter. And the cover credits was by Doug Rice. And again, as usual, all this information comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. And due to time constraints and me just being lazy right now, 
the synopsis I'm going to read also comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Mark Shaw is taken to the Yakuza leader following his battle with Dumas in Japan. Ijai Hasawaga explains the debt he owes to Mark's stepfather, Elliot, for saving the life of his wife years later. Hasawaga then helps to smuggle Mark out of the country and back to America. Dumas does not want to fight the Yakuza, so he waits until Mark is back in America to renew their fight. He kidnaps Mark's mother and uses her as a hostage. Mark and his family all come to raid. Mark's brother is injured in the fight, in which Dumas escapes, but they're successful in rescuing Rose Shaw. And now on to the actual coverage of the issue. We start off the cover. We see, uh, again, it's a very nice cover. Uh, we got some lightning in the background, it looks like. I assume that's what that is. We got Mark shot just as his manhunter standing front and center on the cover. Behind him, we see his brother and sister and father. They all have weapons out. Uh, they all three have guns. In the foreground, we see a hand with a, a butcher knife or some type of sharp knife. Some blood on the end of it. And we can see, we don't know who it is at this point. It's a, it's a female, we can tell. Reflection in the knife. Uh, we know from the synopsis that it's uh, Mark's mother. Again, the wind blowing is little scarfs floating in the breeze. Uh, a very nice cover. I don't have any problems with this. Mark is in his full red and blue and silver color. His family behind him is in gray and blacks. Uh, so this entire focus of this issue is where it should be on Mark Shaw. But it also shows, you know, this family comes to his aid in this issue as we cover the synopsis. Uh, again, so the only thing in color on here is Mark Shaw. And we got some of the, the, the reddish, like magenta blood coming off of the knife. So going on to the actual issue. Again, this was drawn. The pencils was Doug Rice and Kelly Jones. The anchors was Kelly Jones and Sam Keith. So Kelly Jones had a big hand on this. I've said before, I don't know if I've said it here, but elsewhere, I'm not a big Kelly Jones fan, uh, particularly on his Batman. Uh, but here, I'm enjoying what I'm seeing on, the, on this page, just to give you guys, or this issue. Just to let you guys know right up front. I, I, while I'm not a Kelly Jones fan, I'm enjoying what he's doing here. Uh, we start off with Mark Shaw, Ben Over. Uh, we got the city of, I believe it's uh, Tokyo in the background. Below that, we got Dumas and a picture of Manhunter. Uh, basically, as Mark's inner monologue is uh, covering up what we've missed so far. And at this point, we don't know why the accusers picked him up. So we start out at the bottom half of the page. We see it looks like bars along each side. And Mark's bent over his hand outreach. He's saying, is this the way I'm supposed to do this? So we're not quite sure what's going on on here. Is it some sort of prison thing? Or why has he been over like this? What's, what's, what's he reaching for? It's kind of weird. But it makes sense on the next page, sort of, where one of the uh, Japanese gentlemen tells him that, you know, after a fashion, basically he's doing it mostly right. Apparently it's a sign of respect that you do for these Japanese lords or whatever y'all call it. And again, as I said, I'm not a big fan of Kelly Jones over on Batman, but I'm, I'm liking, for the most part, this issue. Uh, on the third page, uh, the Japanese guy, again, I keep mispronouncing his name, so I'm not going to try. 
the Japanese gentleman that saved Mark is given his backstory, how he met Mark's stepfather. And the artwork on here is very, it's, it's good art. I don't want to say very good. It's, it's good artwork, but it's very uh, Kelly Jones. I mean, looking at this, I, I would think, even without looking at the artist, I would, this looks familiar. This looks like Kelly Jones. The people are very line-heavy. But not all of them, though. I mean, the, the, the Asian people in here, uh, I believe they're Japanese people. Yeah. They're very line-heavy. Oh, it's hard for me to put my finger on it, but the artwork looks, especially in these last couple panels, is very Kelly Jones-looking. Uh, I don't know how much input he had, how much he did, how much the other guy did, the other gentleman did with it. But... Some of these panels are, are very Kelly Jones driven, if you will. It reminds me of some of the Batman stuff that I don't care for from Batman. Here it's not as bad. So we find out in the story that he met uh, Mark's stepfather when he came to Japan as legal aid to a colonel. As Elliot is driving around Japan, uh, he's got this American soldier with him and he's talking. He's like, Fascinating. This country intrigues me. There's so much to learn about the Japanese. And the soldier's like, begging your pardon, sir. And Elliot's, go ahead, Purnell, spit it out. And the soldier's like, only thing we need to learn about the damn nips is how we can break their backs once and for all. And Elliot's like, take a train down to Hiroshima or Nagasaga, Purnell. Take a good look around. You'll see the broken back of Japan. And then again, Purnell's like, sorry, sir, I was at Pearl Harbor. I lost good buddies of mine and elsewhere. You weren't part of that. Elliot's, I fought the last year of Parnell, enough to learn war turns all into aggressors and victims as well. So again, it's a very much, I mean, uh, while a lot, especially at this time frame of the story, uh, a lot of Americans weren't happy with Japanese because of Pearl Harbor. So this was a sentiment shared by many. But Elliot Shaw is here to counterbalance that to let us know that not all Americans felt that way. Uh, it's understandable that soldiers, especially, would be very upset with the Japanese people because of Japanese attacking Pearl Harbor. But, again, it's the government's fault. It's not the individual people. Their people are just people like us. They're doing what they're told. Uh, whether it's right or wrong, it depends on whether they're the victor or not. As they say, history is written by the winner. So, I mean, if, if Japanese had won the war... Japanese? If Japan had won the war, history books may have told a different story. But I like, I like the fact that Elliot here, he can see that not all Japanese people are the ones that attacked Pearl Harbor, basically. And that he realizes that, you know, we bombed the heck out of Hiroshima, Nagasawa. So he realizes that we've done our damage to Japan back retaliation. And at this point, there's no sense keeping up hostility. Because as he says, war turns us all into aggressors and sometimes victims as well. So at this point, the people of Japan, even though it wasn't their fault per se that their government attacked us, they suffered the consequences for the actions. And so it turned, even though Japan itself was an aggressor, us bombing, and again, I'm not cond condemning or condoning it, I'm just speaking facts. But us bombing Hiroshima and Nagasaki kind of made the Japanese people into victims also. So 
I like the point that uh, Oshinger and Yell are trying to get across here. I, I think it's going to cross well. And we find out why, uh, what Elliot did to uh, get in the graces of the uh, Yakuza. As they're driving along, they hear a woman yell. They jump out, and Elliot runs up, and they see a band of, oh, God, it's like at least half a dozen or eight Japanese guys attacking this woman. And again, it's, it's still very Kelly Jones artwork, looking artwork. Uh, so it's hit or miss with me, but I'm enjoying, and again, that's maybe the bad word to use. I like the way it looks. Right in the middle of the page, this one panel, we got uh, Elliot saying in Japanese, stop. And these guys, they're all in shadows and hunched over. They look almost like monsters. And in between them, there's this woman, this Japanese, very beautiful woman. Her nose is bleeding. Her eyes are bare, almost closed. One of the ruffians is under her jacket, it looks like. And again, the Japanese guy, I, I call him a mob or whatever, but the one that the leader I'm going to call him is Honored American. This is none of your concern. Please go away. He's talking to this Japanese, and they're translating for us. And Elliot's like, go away? No, you're under arrest. Arrest? I am Chinese. I am doing to her what was done to the, us by the Japanese. A conquered nation deserves such treatments. Uh, you understand, American? So put away your gun, and I will walk away, and there will be no trouble, eh? And Elliot's like, walk away after what you just done? No chance, buddy. So again, even though, and again, it shows this mindset of the Japanese and Chinese and Americans, all three at this point in history. Uh, the Japanese has sub subjugated the Chinese, and now that the Chinese are back on top, uh, they feel that a conquered nation, the women, even though this young lady had nothing to do with anything Japan did to China, he feels that all of their people should be uh, treated this way. Uh, again, very, uh, very racist, if you will. Very, very much uh, a wrong-headed notion, if you will. And he's like, you know, just walk away. I'll bet you get away. Walk away. And hell, it's he's got his principles, and he tells him, walk away after what you've done. Not a chance. Your butt's going to jail. And then we get back to America or the American consulate or whatever, and Elliot's talking to looks like his boss. And his boss is telling him that he doesn't care if he wants to recover enough to testify. The department's lie with uh, the Chinese people like Mr. Chen, and he recommends they drop the matter. And Elliot's, again, he's a man of principle. Again, this was many years ago. But we, he's a principled man. He's like, you know what? With due respect, sir, we are going to restore peace and establish laws to protect all citizens. The exception of one man from due criminal process means the law is administered not equally for all, but comparatively among the few. My conscience and principles refuse to let this matter to happen. Let this happen, sir. So again, so so Elliot pushed the matter, even though his boss tell him to stop. Which to me it shows that you know, and this is, which I'm not sure. I forget if they say when Elliot came into Mark's life, uh, but again, we can tell even though it's just a stepfather, Mark has very much the conscience that his stepfather has. He wants to do what's right and what's just. And so we get to find out that due to Elliot's uh, finesse of the law and trial, he got a conviction and Chin died six months of hard labor. 
we got six months of hard labor and, and prison he died. So, and seeing how his he kept up on the case, even though his boss told him not to, he won. So you would think he's a hero. We think he's you know he he's persecuting or prosecuting this guy that was torturing this innocent woman. He found the guy guilty, got him sent to jail, and in retaliation or in return, his boss is sending him back to America. Because, <clears throat> and as I said earlier, due to Pearl Harbor, America was upset with Japan, so they were signing China at the time. So as far as they were concerned, China was in the right, even though morally uh, they were doing wrong. And so, again, since this one lawyer pushed the matter and fought back against the Chinese government, basically, and what the Chinese were doing to the Japanese, uh, they decided to punish him by sending him home. So he tells how he was going home. Uh, the wife of the man that Chin was abusing gets onto the base and tells him that since uh, Elliot Shaw defended uh, the man's wife, that he owes him one. And like this, it's very much the Japanese culture. Uh, he's like, You defended my wife from Mr. Chin. And Elliot's, You owe me nothing. So he's like, my wife is pregnant. Her life, the life she bears, our honor, our great deal more than nothing. And Elliot lets us know how he feels right here. He's like, I would have done the same if you're allowed to attack Mr. Chin and I was there. What he was doing was wrong. What my people were trying to do was wrong. It offended me. I couldn't abide it. What I did, I did for myself. Not for you or even your wife. You owe me nothing. So his dad walks away saying, you know, Elliot walks away saying, you know, that he understands loyalty, compassion, moral obligation, duty. Those are American traits as well as Japanese. And that's why he didn't do it because he, that way this Japanese businessman would be in Elliot's favor or owe him a favor. He did it because it's the right thing to do. He doesn't want uh, compensated. He doesn't want a favor owed back. He, he just wants to do the right thing. Uh, and again, as he says, whether even if they came across the Japanese attacking an Asian woman or the Japanese attacking Mr. Chen. Mark still would have stood up and defied him and done the right thing. Uh, not because that's what the government says, and that's not what's it's expected of him. It's just that's more morally the right thing to do. So again, I, I, you're, at least I'm really liking Elliot in this story because it, he comes across as a very moral character. Uh, we're halfway through the story, and we're basically, basically at this point just getting flashback. Elliot's time in Japan and how we got to this point as far as the Yakuza basically owing Elliot Shaw a favor. And so, and that's why the Yakuza stepped in and saved Mark Shaw from Dumas is because of this favor that was done back, you know, many years ago. And he tells Mark that, you know, he's prepared to escape from Japan. Uh, his crest is his shield. As long as he's in Japan or over the air, he's safe. But once he lands in America, his protection dollar... It's not that he won't, it's just that he can't. His protection only goes so far. So he lets him know that, you know, you're safe while you're in Japan, but once you leave Japan, you're on your own. And so as they're going to the boat to leave, Duma shows up and, you know, he's about to attack again. And he tells the Japanese guys, you know, I'm going to kill this guy, basically. And, uh, 
Kazu Hagasawa, Mr. Hagasawa's, well, I'm really messing that name up, I'm sure. His son tells him that the Yakuza protects this man, and Du is like, I had not realized this. Uh, does this include the United States as well? And like, no, our pledge only is in Japan, it excludes America. And so he's like, Dumas is like, then I save my hand for now. A blood feud you most, most regrettable. Convey my respects to Lord Hagasaga. As for you, Mark Shaw, we shall meet again soon. Your death is merely postponed. Mark's like, you know what? You can have the damn mask. Take it. We'll call it quits. I don't care that much. I just want to go my life, basically. And Dumas like, secrecy is the assassin's primary weapon, Mr. Shaw. Letting you live compromises my identity. I would lose face. Taking the manhunter mask from your dead body will be a great honor. Good night, gentlemen. And then Mark's back in America where he confronts his brother, Jamie, knowing there's since Jamie, uh, it was the go-between. He knows that Jamie, or he figures that Jamie knows something. I like this. Uh, little conversation between Mark and Jamie here. And then his father pops in with, again, more backstory. He, he tells us who about, uh, her name is Olivia Vancroft. She's the one that's trying to get the mask. Again, it's a good story so far, but there is, there's quite a bit of exposition. There's two different backstories going on. Uh, not that I don't mind, because again, you need to know some of this stuff. Uh, could they have maybe moved it to a different, I don't know, moved to a different issue or give it, I don't know, but Again, they do keep this backstory down to one page. A uh, bunch of uh, boxes all over. It's, it's different. It's interesting. It's not bad. It's just between this and then uh, the other backstory with the Yakuza. Could be a bit much for one issue. I don't know. Uh, not that it's bad. Again, don't get me wrong. I am enjoying the story. Oshner in Yale. Masters. And then they get a phone call from uh, Mark's mom, and they find out that Dumas has his mom, and that if they don't, Mark does return home, he's gonna kill her mom off. He's gonna kill his mom off. And this is where, even though Jamie may be kind of a, uh, a punk, him, sister, dad, they all step up and they're like, you know what? We're coming along with you. And I like this on page 17 where they're, they're racing to the house. I think the dad and sisters in one car and Mark and Jamie's in the second car. Jamie and Mark's have a little heart-to-heart and Jamie's telling me, you know, he's got reservations up the whole manor thing. We never really put him in danger. He says, you're my brother. I, I love you. And Mark's like, whatever you say, baby brother, whatever you say. So I'm not quite sure if it's just Mark's concentrating on the fact that his mom's being taken captive by Dumas, or if he doesn't believe his brother. I'm not quite sure there what, how to read that. Again, I haven't gotten much into, in, I haven't actually haven't gotten into all in this podcast, but I used to have a baby brother myself years ago. I lost him to a house fire, so whenever there's brother situations like that, sometimes that kind of gets to me. Uh, so. Moving on from that, though, I mean, I say it's well written. It's very good dialogue. I don't know if how Austin Drinkell did it, if one they wrote together on this or if one wrote the story and other with the dialogue. But whoever did the dialogue 
did a damn good job on it. And then we get to see with Mark confronting Doomless and all like this. He's, uh, Doomless is like, quite when I hurt him too. Show yourself, Shaw, before I slip through Mother's throat. And Mark's like, Shaw didn't come, Doomless. He sent Manhunter instead. So I don't, I thought maybe the mom knew who he was. I don't know why he's got this pretense of Manhunter and Mark Shaw being two different people. Other than just, he's in character, if you will. And, uh, Dumas has a gun he's going to shoot Mark with. And I like this. He's like, he's looking at the gun. He's like, I'm a dang choice of weapons for a soda exotica killer. And Dumas is like, I plan to slay you through your own baton, but I couldn't find the kill setting. Strange affection for a man in your profession. So basically it's letting us know that his baton, uh, I guess it could be used to kill if you done right, but it's not a weapon to kill for killing. It's defense and for getting around and power and things like that. Which lets us a little bit more about Manhunter and his feelings without even hearing it from Manhunter himself, which I, I like that. It's, it's interesting. And then Mark tells uh, Dumas that he knows that Dumas is going to kill his entire family because what he knows they may know. And then before Dumas can shoot it, uh, the Manhunter Jamie comes flying through the window, and he gets shot for his trouble. And I get a little fight, fight, fight here going on. And again, I like this little fight scene. So Jamie's trying to prove to his brother, you know, he's like, well, I hope this proves that I didn't set you up. And Mark's like, I believe you, Jamie. I owe you. And then he ends up with like a little uh, a monologue here. He's thinking, he's like, I owe you, I owe Giri Nijo, whatever is that, Japanese life debt, to all of you, debt of honor and loyalty. As long as Dumas lives, your lives are forfeit. This I swear. I will hunt you down, assassin, and only one of us will survive. Dun dun dun! Next, a final confrontation. But overall, I said it was a good story. I enjoyed it. I, I love the artwork in here. I love you know the dialogue, uh, the way Ostender and Yale wrote it. It was just a great story. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, next issue, like I said, the final confrontation. Uh, it sounds like the last part of this first story arc. Anyways, that's it for the Manhunter issue. And now we're going to move into the letters page. Cosmic Tracks. Uh, these, I haven't got any emails from anybody on this, so we're going to go ahead and go to the Facebook. And these are people that liked or shared the Facebook. There is Clinton Robinson, DC in the 80s, a great uh, Facebook group dedicated to the 80s comics that I love so much. Coffee and Comics blog, Clinton Robinson... Brian Yardley, in fact, Brian Yardley commented on the post. Uh, he said, this was on episode two, he said, great, good episode. As I read Starman 2 and the part where his sister talks about the lack of a heartbeat, it made me think of the final fate for Will Robinson, not eclipse in Jane Robinson's Starman series. This fits in perfectly what Robinson tells us some 15 years later. Uh, we'll get to that eventually. Again, there may be some spoilers for a 20-year-old story. Uh, so we have Brian Yardley, the Fire and Water Podcast Network, Sonny Morrison, uh, he published a post on our page saying, keep up the good work, man. I am so glad someone decided to do a podcast about Mark Shaw Manhunter. Whenever I'm asked about who some of my favorite comic characters are, and I say Manhunter, I always have to follow up with, no, not the Martian Manhunter. As far as Starman, I didn't have much exposure to him other than during Invasion and a two-part story with Batman on Blockbuster. 
So I look forward to hearing more about him. Once again, thank you for doing such an amazing job. Well, thank you, Sonny. I'm glad you, you're enjoying the show. Uh, keep listening and definitely keep letting us, you know, hear your thoughts on it. Uh, continue on with the likes and what have you from Facebook. There's Fernando Cutnan Rocha, Sean Brook, Abel Bedilia, Jay Jones. Uh, he also made a comment on the Facebook. He says, though I never read Manhunter, I was a fan of this Starman in the 80s. I'm really enjoying... Try that again. I'm really enjoying reliving these lost, to me at least, stories. Glad you like them, Jay. I'm glad we bring back some fond memories. I, too, apparently like these stories also. So, uh, moving on. There's also uh, further likes from Grover L. Welch, David Foster, Jeff Mayo, Sean Brook, Michael Wagner, and then also uh, Clinton Robinson, a fan of the show, posted on the Facebook regarding the last episode, my musical interlude. Just downloaded the latest episode. Gotta admit, this is easily the best name for a podcast hiatus episode ever. Uh, thanks, Clinton. I enjoyed it. I thought it was rather fitting also. So, And finally, we have also a, a like from Ryan Ween. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. I want to thank everybody that's wrote, wrote in on the Facebook. Uh, definitely check us out. We're at facebook.com slash Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. No spaces or hyphens or anything. That's my son in the background confirming that he enjoys it also. And uh, you can also email us at smah or the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour if you want to type the whole thing out. Both of them. So anyways, that's at headspeaks.com. So send that to smah at headspeaks.com. You can check us out on the web at starman-manhunter.headspeaks.com. But that's going to do it for this episode. Join us next month when we deal with episodes four, or sorry, issues four of both books. Uh, again, check out uh, Friend of the Show, DC in the 80s, their Facebook page. I believe they saw their contest going on from a couple months ago, I mentioned. Uh, and watch from other shows. Everything's available on iTunes or Stitcher under the Headcast Network. Until next one, Star Hunters, keep watching the stars. See ya. Thank you for listening to another great episode of the Starman Manhunter Adventure Hour. Please join us next month for another great, fantastic episode as we cover another issue of the Will Payton Starman series and the Mark Shaw Manhunter series. Uh, keep in mind that these podcasts are not affiliated or endorsed by DC Comics. I'm just a fanboy who loves these comics and wants to spread these love with everyone else out there and just talk about them. Um, again, you can email us at smah at headspeaks.com or you can go to our blog, which is at starman-manhunter.headspeaks.com. You can also go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash starman-manhunter-adventure-hour. No spaces, all one word. But once again, thank you very much for joining us. Until next episode... This is Aaron Moss saying, see you in the funny pages. <laughs>